Jeremy, when's the last time that you rolled your ankle? I roll my ankle all the time. I've, I've <laughs> I, I, more than an average human being should roll their ankle. I played basketball in high school, and I think it was just kind of like expected and normal. They just told me to do that. Yeah, it was one of those like rub some dirt on it things and just, you know, I think I made a joke. Yeah, it's just rolled it. Exactly. I, mean, I think I made a joke some other time of, yeah, lace up your boot real tight and go for a walk. But yeah, I mean, these things are extremely common. I think what we see a lot, Jeremy, is that it's ugly and it looks bad and it feels like crap and it's swollen and it's a million different colors. So I think everybody's first thing is, oh my God, did I break something? You know, the pain related to most ankle sprains will lessen within two weeks. We know this, this is documented, but upwards of 25% of people that do seek medical care are still prescribed opioids without any evidence whatsoever, which is just feeding into over-medication, especially opioid pain medication over-medication. So I think it's really lovely to talk to an expert about this. What do you think, Jeremy? Yeah, let's bring somebody on to tell me what to do once I roll my ankle. Love it. Welcome to your doctor friends, the show that teaches you to sniff out the garbage and answers all the questions that you wish you could call or text your doctor friend. My name's Julie Bruni. And I'm Jeremy Allen. And we are two physicians who work at a nationally ranked practice and take care of some of the world's greatest athletes. We know that you have questions and we want to help. We want to be your doctor friends. So I'm extremely excited to bring on our guest today is Dr. Kamran Hamid. He is a dear friend of the Your Doctor Friends. So he's a friend of the friends. He's an orthopedic uh, foot and ankle surgeon at Loyola Medicine. He has a very impressive CV, if anybody wants to try to find it online. He went to medical school at Texas A&M. He did his MPH at Harvard. He did his residency at Wake Forest, and he did his fellowship in foot and ankle surgery at Duke. So we're going to have to talk about where his collegiate basketball allegiances lie He provides foot and ankle orthopedic management for professional and collegiate athletes, as well as patients of all athletic levels. He is a prolific researcher and publisher, a very dedicated teacher and professor, always has been, always will be. He lays down some sick, sick tracks in this rap game as Comron, uh, where many of you who are listening may already know. So we'll talk about that more a little bit in, in in our outro. But Comron, Dr. Hamid, so happy to have you. Thank you for being here with us today. Thank you both for having me. I'm excited to chat with you. So we hear all the time, you know, Jeremy, we were just talking about, I rolled my ankle. To you as a foot and ankle surgeon, like, what does that statement actually mean? Sure. It generally refers to an inversion injury. So 90, 95% of the time, people turn their ankle inward. And this is the most common musculoskeletal injury in the world. And so the majority of these, like you said, will get better within a couple of weeks and without having to do a whole lot. However, I don't really use the grading system of grade one, two, and three. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a little bit arbitrary. In my mind, these are really just mild ankle sprains, which are the ones where you lace up your boots and move on. And they're the severe ankle sprains. And the severe ankle sprains are the ones that generally make it into our offices. What essentially happens is is somebody turns their ankle inward. They stretch everything on the outside part of their ankle and they squish everything on the inside part of their ankle. And so on the outside part of the ankle are a couple of ligaments that have a tendency to get stretched out. There's also some tendons called the perineal tendons, and we can talk a little bit more about that later. But the ligaments that stretch out on the outside of the ankle, those are necessary for keeping the ankle stable so that you can do explosive movements and cut side to side. And when they stretch out and become loose, the ankle goes from being stable to unstable. And an unstable ankle is a painful ankle. An unstable ankle slides around and can have some grinding in there and eventually cause arthritis after 10, 20 years. And so we don't like unstable ankles. So for this reason, what the research has shown is that essentially strengthening the ankle makes it better after a severe ankle sprains. And so, as you all know, we usually give people a couple weeks to just let things cool off and not be so painful. And then we send them to physical therapy or give them exercises to do. And this gets the ankles, muscles, and tendons that are around it to strengthen, to compensate for the stretched ligaments and give them some support. So that's my basic 30,000 foot view of ankle sprains. I love it. I feel like you've already mentioned this is like the most common injury. And I, I feel like it's got to be one of the most common ones that we get text messages or pictures of or because it, it it really does look ugly when it first happens to people. Like it's a good, I always call it paint by numbers. But I also feel like it's one of the most underappreciated of the injuries. What I mean by that is 
we've already talked about in the first few minutes here of I just rolled my ankle and people just kind of like, I, sh- I should just move on from that. But if somebody kind of like tweaks their knee, they need to be seen yesterday type of situation. <laughs> and so like, but it, it can be similar uh, concepts. So, you know, maybe give me a concept of like, when this happens, why do people like some people f- can't walk for a day and other people it's like, yeah, I'll just keep playing in the same game. Right. Well, Part of that is just adrenaline, of course, but the other thing is like the severity of it and also like the chronicity. How many of these have you had in your life? The challenging thing about these severe ones is like it's really hard to get a physical exam when they come see you the same day. Mm-hmm. And an MRI in the face of relatively normal looking x-rays without any breaks, an MRI can sometimes be a little misleading almost because it looks like a bomb has gone off in your ankle. And so One of the things that we see a lot of times is that, of course, even severe ankle sprains, most of them with some therapy and bracing will be better. But if you get an MRI the day the injury happens or the day after, the report is going to say that these ligaments are torn. And to the novice who doesn't realize that like torn ligaments and a sprain are literally the exact same thing, they can very much be talked into having an acute surgery to repair their ligaments. And so... That's not something that absolutely needs to happen. Additionally, you'll see bone bruising. So like we said, you stretch out everything on the outside part of the ankle and you squish the things on the inside. So the bones end up banging against each other and they look really bright and bruised on the MRI. And so the bruising can be misleading for people as well. It can result in unnecessary surgeries too. So my advice to people is actually try to avoid getting an MRI early on. I tell most people that if you have an ankle injury that warrants you texting somebody else about it, you should probably go ahead and get x-rays. There are these things called the Ottawa ankle rules, which are like, if you can put this much weight on it, whatever, but um, that you don't need to get x-rays. But we don't really do that anymore. What we say now is like, if this is concerning for you and you're having a lot of pain, just get an x-ray. Because there are oftentimes a lot of things that you may miss or things that may help you understand the prognostics of your ankle injury that you wouldn't know without a plain x-ray. One of the things that we really don't want to do is miss a uh, like a talus fracture or something else that's not a standard ankle sprain. And even talus fractures can be missed on plain x-rays, but your chance of seeing it is much, much better if you have that. And you'll be surprised. Like Adrenal is an incredible thing. People can sometimes walk on really bad ankle injuries without knowing it. Being a farmer is an incredible thing. You can walk on some really horrific injuries if you're a farmer, I have found. So uh, they just have different protoplasm, I think. Absolutely. Well, I think it's a really salient point that you made there, Kamran, that I think sometimes, you know, as being in an orthopedic practice as Jeremy and I are, and obviously as you are at Loyola, you know, it's pretty standard procedure for us to get x-rays as the patient before the patient even sees us before, you know, as they're being roomed, they get their quick x-ray because we have looked at our schedule ahead of time to say, ooh, this person's coming in with an acute ankle injury. They probably would benefit from an x-ray. And we have those resources to do that in a very streamlined fashion. But it is interesting that I, from time to time, and, and tell me if you've had a similar experience, Kamran, of hearing patient feedback as they're being slated to get their x-ray or whatever to say like, well, what's the X-ray going to show you? I'm going to just need an MRI anyway. And it sounds like what you're saying, Kamran, is kind of, in many cases, sort of the exact opposite of that. And I think that's a really salient point if you wanted to expound upon that. But have you had a similar experience? So the the X-ray has value. One is that it can show you things that are broken. But the second is that if it doesn't look like anything's broken and it looks like everything is relatively well aligned, then it also gives you some peace of mind that you can hold off on the MRI. Yes. If somebody absolutely wants an MRI, I will spend a little bit of time, if their x-rays are normal, trying to talk them out of it and say, like, the problem with it is this, is that it's going to show a lot of things that are going to give you a lot of anxiety that will probably resolve on their own. And that the best time to do an MRI is not right after the injury, it is maybe six to 12 weeks out if you haven't improved from it. And if there's something that, even at two weeks, it's okay if there's something that makes you think that you need to have the MRI. So I'll give you an example. Is When they first show up, their ankle oftentimes looks like a water balloon, like a purple water balloon. Because And it's like, okay, well, I'm trying to do a physical exam, but everything hurts on them. And so like, how do you test for things? And so for those people where I can't get a good exam, 
we'll just put them in a boot and then tell them, you know, you can put a little bit of weight on here, but come back to see me in two weeks when the swelling is down some, and then we can give a physical exam on you. If at that point in time, I have a suspicion that like, maybe you have like some sort of perineal tendon problem, like your perineal tendons have dislocated or something that's surgical and needs to be fixed, then I will go ahead and pull the trigger on the MRI earlier. But I think I have to have something that leads me in that direction, not just a reflex thing. And so as both of you know from taking care of professional athletes, MRI is just reflexively thought to be the gold standard. And so my experience with acute MRIs is also like, you know, if you get it the day after or two days after, it's like hard to make heads or tails because there's just so much going on. Conversely, people that sometimes have ankle injuries that get an MRI the same day, the bruising and some of the injury can actually fall behind, can lag behind. And so it may actually look okay before it looks terrible. And so it is like the acute MRI, I find, really ends up confounding things and make it, makes managing these patients even a little bit more challenging. I love your description of the purple water balloon because they, as we mentioned before, they just end up looking, these injuries can sometimes look so bad. Although for someone like myself, who's done this a lot of times, you mentioned the chronicity, I feel like nothing happens to it now. And, and sometimes that can be like, great, nothing's going to happen. I'm sure that's not a good thing. But my question to you is somebody's going to have this injury. It's going to look pretty nasty. Like it can look pretty bad within the first 24 hours. And they're going to reach out to you and be like, should I get this looked at? Or should I just ice it for a couple days or, and see how I feel? Like, what would you tell that person? I would say first and foremost, probably get an x-ray. Elevating an ice is never a wrong answer. And there's generally nothing that's going to happen outside of a dislocation. We had a professional athlete for one of the minor league teams over there who had a pure ankle dislocation, like no fracture, just dislocated their talus and their tibia. But like that obviously needs a reduction. But I would say icing and elevating is never a bad idea. And I would say x-rays are a good idea as well early on. And then after that, you have some time to stop and take a breath. And there's nothing at that point in time that is going to be acute that has to be done. So even if um, you give it a little bit of time, a couple of weeks to calm down, that's fine. And Dr. Hamid's my favorite doctor, and I really want to see him for this. And he's not available until next Thursday, and it's currently Tuesday. Like, should I go to the urgent care and get that x-ray? Or do I need to go sit in the emergency room line to get it? Or can I wait till next Thursday to get my x-ray? I think urgent care is okay if they're, if they're like that stressed out about it. Then even a non-weight-bearing x-ray in an urgent care is all right. Or they can see their PCP or whatever. But for the most part, if it's an ankle injury and they are not dying, they can probably wait till the Thursday. Jeremy, I feel like you were touching on that not all x-rays may be created equal. That's good, yeah. I think that when you are going to an orthopedic practice, and specifically a foot and ankle surgeon in orthopedic practice, literally the other day, I was I was speaking to one of our other foot and ankle colleagues, one of our dear friends, Dr. Dan Bull, who I was planning on seeing a patient coming in who had a proximal fibula fracture. And he had to teach me how to do stress views of the ankle because I had never done them before. And I'm an, a non-surgical orthopedic physician, so I felt like I had learned something and I'm supposed to be the expert. So Cameron, would you agree that there are certain protocols for x-rays that can be much higher yield to rule out certain types of injuries? Yeah. So yeah, those are very nuanced and they're even within orthopedic foot and ankle surgery and trauma surgery are debates as to mm-hmm. what the value is of certain stress examinations, whether you do those manually, just to, for the people that are listening, sometimes ankles are broken or even not broken, but you want to figure out whether they're stable or not stable. That's really the name of the game. And historically, we had we would take the ankle under x-ray and then stress it, meaning that we would try to push it the way it doesn't want to go and see if the ankle would widen on the opposite side or whether it would move basically and be unstable. And so it is a very nuanced discussion. I would say this, though, for the person in the scenario that Jeremy is describing where they they have anxiety about it. There's, I think there's nothing wrong with even having just a low quality ankle x-ray from an urgent care or something just to show that it's like not demolished. Good word choice there. I love it. Uh, if it is, 
Do they right? But if it's like dislocated or something, because sometimes like it may be dislocated, then at least an urgent care can say you need to go to the ED or you need to be seen quickly for this. And so I think that that's okay to have just even something quick and dirty early on to show that this is not a horrible thing and that maybe uh, give them some peace of mind until they to see it. We did a research study looking, actually Dr. Bull and I, people that had Achilles ruptures and um, ankle fractures, uh, looking at mood. And what we found was that essentially after those injuries, everybody's mood worsened, that they got depressed afterwards. And if you think about it, this is like, these are athletes, these are people who are very active, and then just like that, boom, um, in a flash, mm-hmm. uh, everything is taken away from them, quote unquote, and they can't be active anymore. Anyways, in the same vein, ankle sprains are like this. We don't have a study on it, but we find that people get pretty depressed after <laughs> ankle sprain, yeah. and they're looking for something. So though scientifically, we can say, you don't need to see anybody or do anything until you see me on Thursday. But emotionally, they want something to tell them yeah. that everything is going to be okay. So I think it's all right to get some quick interview yeah. answers. I think, I think also I wanted to make sure we were hitting on something you brought up earlier, Kamran, as you talked about the way that you evaluate things and how much time sometimes to let them calm down is that the difference between urgency and emergency and in the sense is like the vast majority of intervention if you as the surgeon are going to intervene surgically which is not the vast majority of these things it's a very small percentage but of those small percent like seeing them a week from after the injury is not going to necessarily change what you were doing to it unless it was like dislocated and facing the wrong direction or anything like that and so I think the person listening if you're sitting there with this injury and you're like, do I need to go get the x-rays now? I just really, really don't want to go have to go sit in the lines or like deal with the urgent care who's going to basically say, go see an orthopedist and I have to pay for that, you know, like that copay to do that. Or I have to, you know, like a lot of times the urgent care will be like, you should probably get an MRI of this. I hear that all the time. They're like, you you should get an MRI because the urgent care is telling them something's really wrong. And then you have to kind of talk them out of that. And, Mm -hmm. and so again, I think Certainly there are times, as you've mentioned, where it makes sense to go get a treatment if it's facing the wrong direction or if the pain is way out of proportion to what you would expect or... You can't move it at all. I mean, like, you can't even wiggle your toes. Yeah. There's no blood flow. Like, my foot's changing colors. Lots of different things. But ultimately speaking, that appointment to see Dr. Hamid because he's the best on the face of the planet in about a week from now is probably going to be fine, right? Yeah. The majority of the time should be perfectly fine. Well, I think sometimes I want to make sure on this podcast that we, <laughs> we're we not shitting on urgent care. I think urgent care really does. We aren't? No, shut up. We, I think my point is that urgent care is a very helpful tool. Exactly what you were saying, Dr. Hamid, is to give people a little bit of peace of mind and, and risk stratify them. Say, this is something that is a, an emergency or this is something that is not. And it is a go-between. And I think in our society right now, there is a lot of stress and anxiety as, as what you mentioned of, especially if you're a really, really high functioning level physical activity person, and now you are very quickly not. That is a huge delta. That is a huge change for you. And that can be very anxiety inducing and very disempowering. So I agree. I think there's a great place for things like urgent care just in the name itself to say, look, this is, is this urgent? Is this not? This can wait. You're okay. Here's some evidence. Here's some minor treatment in the meantime. But I agree with you, Jeremy, too, that sometimes the recommendations that might be made by urgent care in a CYA, and CYA for people that don't know means cover your ass, way is maybe we do suggest in the plan of like, maybe look into getting an MRI. And sometimes people perseverate on those ideas because they were suggested to them. So it's just a lot of being very clear in your language and and making sure that those people have adequate follow-up. And then it's great because then they usually see us as specialists and we can sort of take it to the next step of the the more significant nuance like you were talking about, Kamran. I have to wait to see you, Kamran, for about a week. So, and it's starting to feel a little bit better, but like, should I can I start to put weight on it if it feels okay? Can I, should I put something on it? Should I grab an ace wrap? Should I, like, do I need to be on crutches until I see you? Like, what would you say most of the time? Most of the time it is let your pain be your guide. So your body yeah. won't lead you too astray. So if you can put a little bit of weight on there, it's not going to really cause much damage. Cool. Or any any damage. So now we've come to your office and you're evaluating. Maybe talk us through some of the most common things you're you're seeing in the in the ankles like what are some of the common diagnoses and then maybe we can dive into those a couple of them sure so as far as ankle injuries or ankle sprains let's say because that's the most common thing it depends on where in the timeline you're seeing the person so 
if it is right off the bat and you know most of the time the plain films are okay and so we'll just give these like we said a, a boot and give it some time to cool off if we're seeing them a couple weeks out or a few weeks out that's when we get a little bit better exam and so most of the time they hurt over the lateral or outside part of the ankle there's a ligament there called the atfl uh, anterior talofibular ligament and its little friend called the calcaneofibular ligament, the CFL. And so most of the time they have some tenderness over there. The other things that we test for though are, one is the deltoid ligament. So that's the ligament on the inside part of the ankle. And that can sometimes be injured as well. Uh, remember everything gets squished on the inside and so that thing can get dinged up as well. Sometimes the injuries are not inversion injuries, they're eversion injuries. And so that can means that they turn their foot out and that can stretch the other part of the ankle. Other things uh, to look for that can oftentimes be missed is the high ankle area. So LeBron James had a high ankle injury maybe a year and a half ago, something like that. So that's called the syndesmosis, and that's the area between the tibia bone and the fibula bone. And the same energy that twists the ankle can be the same energy that pushes the fibula away from the tibia. And so these two things don't have to happen in isolation. You can have a regular ankle sprain and a high ankle sprain or syndesmotic injury. So that's something that you want to keep an eye out for, and they'll hurt a little bit higher, and there's a couple tests we can do to look for that. MRI actually is a pretty good study for looking at that. Other things are perineal tendons. So we look at the perineal tendons to make sure they're not dislocated. Sometimes There's a few things that restrain the perineal tendons and keep them behind the fibula. The perineal tendons, for those that are listening, are two tendons. They attach muscle to bone that sit on the back and outside part of the ankle, and they help essentially turn the ankle outwards. And they can also help push off off the ground as well. And so these need to stay behind the fibula to have the most mechanical advantage. And they don't take a joke very well. If they start to slide out, they really hurt a lot. And if they get a tear, they just cannot deal with it. They are like the histrionic drama queens of the ankle are the perineal tendons. <laughs> I love the anthropomorphization of, of the peroneal tendons of like giving them right, giving them a real right. personality and they sound like a sound yeah, like a couple they, of assholes is really what they, <laughs> they are. They just they can dish it, but they definitely cannot take it. That is for sure. Dickheads. Um, yeah. So, anyways, you want to make sure that the peroneal tendons stay behind the fibula and have it dislocated around it or subluxing, sliding around it. Other things that oftentimes are missed or what is called an anterior process of the calcaneus fracture. So the same energy that twists the ankle and turns it in can stretch the ankle ligaments, but it can also stretch the ligaments or tug on little bones in the foot. And one of them is the front of the heel bone called the anterior process of the calcaneus. These injuries oftentimes don't need surgery, but once in a while they don't heal and they um, require surgery to just excise that fragment. And then lastly, on the inside of the ankle, you can end up with fractures and things like talus fractures or what are called osteochondral lesions. And um, those are really hard to tease out early on because the x-rays might look okay and, and everything else is so swollen. So those are ones where when the person comes in for later things or you end up having to get an MRI, you might see it at that point. Now, downstream are the people like Dr. Allen who have multiple ankle sprains yeah. and they're just like here i go again yeah. Julie. <laughs> jeremy's usually the patient right, in our right. experiences yeah. here sure they're walking down the street and then they step on a crack and they roll their ankle and it looks horrific and then they just keep walking <laughs> um, and so these people have chronic ankle laxity and that can be okay as long as they're not hurting a whole lot the people that run into problems are those that have ankle instability. Mm -hmm. And that's when the ligaments and the tendons are not tight enough. The ankle is unstable and it hurts. And these people come in usually complaining of the same thing. They say, I either had one really bad ankle sprain or I've had multiple ankle sprains. My ankle just never really felt the same after the last one. I have a hard time walking on uneven surfaces like grass, gravel, sand. I just feel like my ankle is a little bit unstable. I have a hard time playing sports that require cutting side to side. It just, I have this apprehension that my ankle is going to roll or like walking down the side uh, the sidewalk and, it, and my ankle rolls. Sometimes you won't get the history of instability, of subjective instability saying, I have a hard time walking on uneven surfaces because these people don't ever walk on uneven surfaces. They may have just like, you know, gotten rid of that part. They're just city dwellers at this point. In time. Fear avoidance a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. 
instabilities usually will present itself relatively obviously, but sometimes you can get faked out by professional athletes mm. because they have incredibly, incredibly strong ankles. Like you imagine like their whole life is essentially physical therapy. And so you can have somebody who is a professional athlete, specifically like basketball, volleyball, who doesn't really say that they have a whole lot of instability symptoms, but they hurt right in the right places and their ankle just never gets better. And that's when you remember an unstable ankle is oftentimes a painful ankle. And so they may have what's called subtle instability. And that's a real challenging one to pick up on. I'm glad you described that because I feel like you just summarized myself that really strong ankle that just covers up the symptoms. I appreciate you really just hitting yeah. home on how me personally. Thanks. You have validated Jeremy's yeah. experience right now. Jeremy yeah. is a high, high, yeah, high just, end athlete that has compensated so well yes. because he's such an Adonis yes. that yes. his ankle sprains right. don't Thank matter you. anymore. Right. right, Kamran? Yeah, he has mechanically and emotionally compensated for his ligament. Like, yes. Ligament Welcome dyslexity. to your doctor. Welcome to your doctor, friends. Jeremy's therapy session <laughs> for each week. I love it. It's mine too. Don't worry. <laughs> Can you humor me for a second, Cameron? What the hell's the difference between a break, a fracture, and a hairline fracture? Sure. So a break makes people have a lot of anxiety. A fracture has less anxiety, and a hairline has no anxiety. <laughs> oh, it's anxiety. It's the id, ego, and the superego of orthopedics. Yeah, yes, severity of anxiety. So break and fracture are the same thing from our perspective. What's really more important is um, whether something is stable or unstable. And stable means that you can apply a normal physiologic load, and the uh, joint will stay in place. The unstable means that it won't. As far as hairline fracture, this is, as you know, a colloquial term that we don't really use in medicine. But I explain it to patients as being a stress fracture. And this is usually one that is usually not an acute trauma that causes it, but it's like some sort of repetitive stress that just is too much for the bone to handle and ends up with a little crack that you usually cannot see on an x-ray. Sometimes you can, and we'll call it a non-displaced fracture. Yeah, historically speaking, I find that the people who come in telling me they have a hairline fracture, it was told to them by somebody who was like, I don't see a fracture on the x-ray, but they're really bad. So it's got to be probably a <laughs> right, fracture. Right. I, I find that it was often told to them by a barber or a hairstylist. Like, <laughs> hair Funny. So, yeah, no, I'm glad we broke that down because I actually get that question mm -hmm. quite a bit um, about like the difference in those things. Maybe staying in the same vein, let's talk high ankle sprain versus regular ankle sprain. I feel like that question gets asked a lot, too. It's a nuance, and again, this is one, even one thing where subspecialists don't always agree on everything, but essentially the tibia and the fibula bone to its side are attached to each other, and they do have a little bit of motion between them. As the ankle moves up, there's a bone called a talus that pushes the fibula back a little bit, and that's how it allows it to have more motion. So when there's injuries here, then moving the ankle up and down actually makes the fibula slide more than it should, and that can be very painful. These patients generally have pain that is, as you can imagine, higher up. A high ankle sprain hurts higher up, and oftentimes these will need surgery as well. Uh, this, like, this part of the joint, it can potentially heal without a surgery, but if it's a significant enough injury, we also, well, sometimes need to do a surgery to put those pieces back together. You touched earlier, Kamran, about taking a little bit of umbrage. I mean, maybe I was I was reading too much into your tone, but with surgeons that may offer acute surgical fixes to things that don't really seem like they necessitate a surgical fix, maybe based on how ugly and scary and dramatic the MRI is in the beginning. So other than what sounds like a major syndesmotic injury or big high ankle sprain where the the, the connection between those two bones is ripped apart and it creates you know, downstream instability. Like, what are the things that you are, like ankle sprain related that you see yourself offering surgery for patients for? Like, what are the most common surgery situations where that would be the, the next best step for that person? Sure. Start off with first saying like, people that offer acute surgery for ankle injuries, like, I don't think that they are bad people mm -hmm. or that they... Um, mean harm to people, but it is just, I think, different education and maybe some, there's some value to getting a little bit of gray hair and having experience to see what you sure. can do, treat without surgery. The early interventions that I usually see after an ankle, like what seems to be a garden variety ankle sprain are one, people that have perineal tendon pathology. So 
either rupture their perineal tendon or their perineal tendons dislocate. And that's something that we try to fix a little bit sooner than later. Otherwise, they'll have a bad outcome. Okay. Other things are subtle, like non-displaced fractures of the talus. And so these can be oftentimes missed on plain x-rays, but they present um, similarly, which is that talus fracture. So the talus is the cornerstone of the ankle, it's the bone in the, the center. Those fractures, they have one consistent characteristic, which is they will never let the swelling go down in the ankle. And so, and they have a really, really hard time healing without surgery and compression. And so non-displaced Taylor body fractures are things that they need a surgery sooner than later. It's not an absolute emergency, but sooner than later, they need something to compress those bones. Otherwise, our joints have what is called synovial fluid in them. It's like WD-40 for the joints. And that, we theorize, flushes in and out of the Taylor body fractures and gives it, makes it have a hard time healing. Additionally, there's a lot of shear stresses in that part of the body. So instead of the bones being compressed together, they're sliding side to side, and that's harder to heal without having some stability and compression. Good answer. Good answer, Kamran. I feel like you see lateral ankle sprains probably the most common. Like that's the one that everybody has, the one where you've kind of turned your foot in and the lateral side of your ankle is the one that gets injured. And and you probably have a similar treatment algorithm for most of those people. But I think maybe the number one question most people are asking is like, am I going to get back to normal? Is this going to cause long-term problems? And like, when am I going to be back to normal? Yeah. So what I'll tell them is everybody is different. And so these there are so many factors that go into how you recover from this. So first of all, 90 to 95% of people will not need a surgery. So already things are in your favor. Uh, the things that make you more likely to have a surgery uh, for an ankle sprain um, is developing chronic instability. So probably the person that has lots of these ankle sprains and just is not able to keep them controlled. And even all of them don't need it. But the as far as the temporality goes, it is so hard to tell somebody because there will be people that come in that have an ankle sprain that looks awful, and within a month, they're back to working out and doing their stuff. And then there's other ones where it's like three months before they go. So um, what I would tell them is that it's not just like oftentimes we'll read on the internet, it's like grade one, grade two, grade three. And life is not a categorical variable. Life is a continuous variable. And so they may have, you know, what somebody would say is a grade three might be like a 8.5 out of 10, or it might be a 4.2 out of 10. And it's real hard to tell. So I'll tell them like the same thing, which is, this is something that is probably your expectation should be that this is going to be something that'll take weeks to maybe even a couple months to feel a lot better from. And um, you'll get the majority of your gains early on. And then that like last few percentage that sometimes takes several months to get over. And remaining topical, high school football season just started in Illinois uh, last night. And uh, I'll give you an anecdote that I just went through, but maybe a common one is like I had a, a football player earlier this week, uh, you know, roll his ankle and it was, you know, pretty swollen in the outside. And, you know, he could wait bare, but it, it, it was hurting him kind of a bit. And, you know, obviously the question is, can I play on Friday? So maybe the question I would ask you is like, what are the things you're looking for that would allow that person to play that week? And then the other question I would ask you is like, what are the risks that person's taking playing if you were to clear them? Yeah. The biggest risk, people worry about like arthritis and those sorts of things. Really, the biggest risk is that you're going to get hurt again in the same ankle or that you're going to get hurt somewhere else because you're not playing the way that you normally do. And it sounds like a cop-out answer, but that's the, the truth of the matter. So I would say if plain films look okay, your physical exam is like you're you know not really seeing anything major that jumps out at you, then probably they can, you know, they need something to stabilize it. So the problem is that the ankle is unstable. And generally, um, taping is going to either taping and or bracing are going to be your friends. The nice thing about an ankle brace, especially a lace-up ankle brace with some straps on it, is that you can retighten it. The taping will get the ankle tighter to begin with, but once it loosens up, you can't retighten it. You got to kind of retape it basically. So, anyways, I would say. The other things that go into this are like, how good are you actually at football? <laughs> like, are you not that good? Then I would pro say probably hold off a little bit. So the other is like, are you a senior? And you have no other way to get an education than to be able to impress people this year. Then that's something where maybe you can push it a little bit. But 
you know, there's no absolute like hard and fast rules. I just feel really bad about sending kids back to play because they're trying to play for something because like the truth of the matter is you get a worse injury and then like you only have one right ankle for the rest of your life and their life at this point in time expectancy may be a hundred years. And so it's maybe like another 83 years that this child or person has to has needs this ankle for. Well, what if there's someone like Jeremy yeah, no used car dealership. Yeah, what if there's someone like Jeremy who obviously has two left ankles? You know, is that an even bigger problem for you, you that you see, Kamran? <laughs> uh, yeah, if you've got two left ankles, by definition, you likely have two left feet as well. <laughs> there you so go. So I off on dance. <laughs> that just really helped explain a lot for me. Thank you. <laughs> I think that was a really I'm salient good. point, Jeremy, talking about, obviously, very topically that, it, you know, here are here are these young people that their athletic career is extremely important, not only to them subjectively, but it may also be objectively. It's going to open a lot of doors for them for potentials for opportunities for secondary education and or income for their life. I get what you're saying 100%, Cameron. And it sounds like you would feel more comfortable making sure that that athlete had good access to resources. Like if they have a really great athletic trainer who has access to like rock tape, like Aaron Schreiber was talking about, or something that's really high quality, like a high quality tape or a brace that has some efficacy and really stabilizing the ankle in the right way, you might feel more comfortable having that person go out and and play and try to see how they do because they have access to resources to someone who can tape them really well or someone that, you know, or access to a brace that has some efficacy that is at least semi-proven. Yeah, I think so. You know, like the easy thing is to say, don't play, but I try not to live my life in a vacuum. And like, I understand that for this child, one is it may be important for their future, but also for their like happiness mm-hmm. as well. It's like this, like I forget sometimes I think I'm so far removed from sports, like how bummed I was to miss a basketball game and like how important being a part of a, a team and being social is to mental health and happiness. And so like you don't want to like reflexively take that away from someone. Yeah, and I think there's a stigma on on physicians in general that if you go see the doctor, you're going to be pulled from play. And I think that sometimes that's a self-fulfilling prophecy of like you wait to see them long enough, you do end up to have to be pulled from play. But, you know, Julie and I, as you mentioned, we take care of athletes at high levels, professional all the way down to amateur. And, and I'll tell you kind of like my criteria and what I did with this kid. At the end of the day, we can use functional testing to our strengths. We can use it to our, to help us out. And so at the end of the day, If the athlete can show me that they can jog, they can sprint, they can change directions, they can jump, and there's no real significant limitation or or severe pain, I find that they can protect themselves in play, right? And so I'm not putting them at any increased risk of further injury outside of the fact that, as you mentioned, Kamran, I always educate them to repeat injury as possible, and you're taking those risks, and my job is to educate you to that. But if you're willing, you and your parents, depending on how old you are, willing to take that risk, and you can pass my functional testing, get back out there. And so I think, again, just hammering home, and Julie, if you have anything to add on what you do, please please chime in. But I think we do a lot of things to keep people on fields and letting them play. I think we, we tend to not take people out if we don't have to. Um, it's kind of the opposite of what people think. Sorry, I would completely agree with you. And I would also say one other point is this, and I'm sure that the two of you have noticed this as well, is that even when you're taking care of professional athletes, you remember like some of these guys are they're like 19. They may legally be adults, yeah. but they're really our kids, you know? And so like they just don't have their parents there with them anymore. They've been replaced by somebody else who doesn't necessarily always take care of them like they're their child. No, that's a that's a really great point. And and I think, you know, as as we all treat athletes and young athletes, it's interesting to straddle the role of I'm not your mom, I'm not your dad, I'm not your parent, but I'm also your advocate and making sure that, you know, the people that they're surrounded by are also hopefully trying to fill those roles for them as well, but also empowering them to be their own advocate. That's one thing I've always liked about working with you when we've worked in the past, Cameron, is you seemed to be a very empowering physician. And I think that's what we strive to be with this podcast too. Yeah. So one last question I want to ask on on ankles, and then I really, Julie, I want to, this is going to be a fun rapid fire today, I think. We're going to do this in a series, and, and, and one of the most common secondary presentations of this is somebody who maybe didn't seek care or did initially and got urgent care x-rays or whatever, and they were negative. But, you know, a few months later is saying it just doesn't feel well. You've mentioned that actually earlier in, in, the, in the podcast, like it just doesn't feel right. 
you know, how long should somebody give it before they get it looked at? Is it okay to have it not feel right? Is it something where, you know, it's better to be proactive and get that looked at or, or do some treatment on that? Yeah, I think proactivity and getting into physical therapy is helpful. Like if there's one thing that people get away from this, it is that if it is a bad ankle injury, like a bad ankle sprain, probably need some therapy at some point in time. The good ones are like, not good ones, but I should say is like, even if you come in and it's in like three months, we still have a reasonably good chance of getting you to avoid a surgery by going to physical therapy at that point in time and getting your ankles stronger. If you have ankle instability at three months and you don't do any therapy, it's probably, or strengthening exercises, I should say, probably unlikely that you're going to get much better. If this has been going on for three years, I still send those people to therapy because there's still a chance that you can get better or to a better place. But I think the longer you wait, like less likelihood of success at that point. Cool. I love it. All right, Julie, I have to imagine you have some awesome stuff to ask. Of course I do. Comron I did my here. homework. Well, I didn't even have to do any homework. Comron already has 85 different cool other facets to his personality and his oh interests gosh. that make things interesting to me. We have world famous rapid yeah. fire, Comron. We ask right, people things that have nothing to do with medicine because we, Julie and I both very much are passionate about doctors don't have to only be passionate about medicine. And so we love to have people on and tell us like, what are the things that are not medicine yeah, with them? Gets your motor going. Right, you got the right guy. Real yeah. quick. And this might be one that Jeremy's going to edit out and I don't care because it's a joke that I've been, <laughs> that I've been sitting on the whole time we've been talking since you brought it up, Kamran is, and it, and it loops back into, or a funny situation from another episode. So that's always good too. Does it ever strike you as funny that, Perineal tendons and perineum sound very, very similar. And I find that funny because your perineum is your taint. Yeah, well, I mean, I examine both of them on every patient that comes in. So. <laughs> it was a good, I knew you would have a great answer to that okay. question. Well, That's a great well, answer. We had a answer. funny a listener call in who is a friend of Jeremy's who was asking about what's all this I hear about perineal sunning? Should I be tanning my taint? And it was, you know, a very funny mm. haha situation. But I think you just won that joke off, um, Kamran. So okay. good job. Tiny right. trophy to you. Okay. Yes. Kamran, you, you have explored yourself into rap music, and I'd love for you to like comment a little bit about you know what got you into that, and then I have a specific question after you tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So when I used to work with you guys at Rush, I asked every patient what they do for work and what they do for fun. And I think they think that it's because I want to know how much time they spend on their feet, but really the answer was, uh, or the reason I asked was because I just was interested and cared about them. And what I found is about half of people say that they don't have fun. They have no hobbies. And so one day one of my PAs was saying, like, Kamran, what hobbies do you have? I said, well, actually, I guess I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> and so um, I used to do stand-up comedy, and I had won a competition as the best college comedian in the country a long time ago. But I hadn't done that in a really long time. So I tried to start playing golf. And actually, the first and only time I played golf, Jeremy was there. And uh, I remember, like... <laughs> Jeremy just like I went up and I had like I'd taken lessons and it was like in my mind it's like a beautiful mind like oh, all the good. angles and things are like floating around and like whiff and just like you know taking giant divots out of the ground and then I ended up getting a heat stroke that day as well um, but Jeremy and then Jeremy just like walks up and just like lines it up like boom knocks down like middle of the fairway a million yards every single time and I was like how long are you doing this he's like well, I started playing when I was four or six and well, yeah. when, when did you start <laughs> Uh, and I was like, oh, uh, I started when I was 38. So, <laughs> yeah, last uh, week. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, um, I realized I wasn't good at that. And I, like most people, don't enjoy doing things that I'm not very good at. And so mm -hmm. I gave that up. And I was like, you know what? I love rap music. And I was like, let me just like immerse myself in this and maybe like be around it. And I started being like around musicians and stuff like that. And it's a different it's a different group of people that I don't normally interact with of like creatives and artists and stuff like that. Cause I've been in just, you know, stuck in pre-med and medical school and residency my whole life. And so it was really wonderful. I made friends that are photographers and videographers and rappers and singers. And, and so one of them once said like, why don't you try this? And so I did it and like, it was all right. That was okay. Like I don't have any musical training and I started pretty late in life. And then I found my niche eventually after a couple of years, which is making like, humorous medical rap music and i think like that is where i feel comfortable are you like the weird al of orthopedics i, I think you know uh sadly i yes i have become that <laughs> that's not a, that was not an insult that was a, that was a compliment 
I mean, he just got a like a Hulu or a Roku movie made after him, so yeah. you're on your way. Yeah, so it's like I, um, at the end of the day, like I just do it what I'm inspired or I think that something's funny. I try not to really be offensive, mm-hmm. and it turns out that it is really hard not to upset somebody at some level, but I try really, really hard to just make things be funny. And my goal is, one is I do it for myself, truthfully, because it's like a nice creative outlet. And the second thing is that healthcare is really tough, man. It's like, it's a hard, you know, like life is just tough right now in general, but being a healthcare worker is tough. And if I can do a little something that can make a few people laugh, then I think that's a good thing. It makes me laugh a lot. And I love the word creative outlet because when Julie and I first started the podcast, and I think we even brought this up maybe on our first episode, I don't remember, but we were talking about kind of like why we did this. And Julie was really thought that I was kidding when I said we should do this. I was like, that sounds fun. Bye bye. Yeah. (laughs) The word that I that I used the most was like, it just was a creative outlet that I didn't know I Mm -hmm. needed. Like it just it really allows you to to get out some some energy in a in a productive, fun way that maybe you didn't really know you needed to yeah. get out. So I love that you use that description. My specific question for you is you're gonna make a rap video and you get to collaborate with somebody. Who's your dream collaborator? Oh, this is probably gonna be Julie Brody Julie Brody and Jeremy Allen. Yeah. No, that was if actually they really were not sweet. Available, yeah. If they were not available due to their schedule, I would say, you know, I really like Eminem and Lil Wayne, mm-hmm. like yeah. some, you know, classic guys. If it was supposed to be a physician, you know, like this Dr. Glockenfleck. Oh, really my God. He's awesome. The ophthalmologist. Mm-hmm. And so I'm sure we have a good time. But I've had an opportunity to work with some other uh, doctors who also have like similar interests and have some things coming down the pipeline. So that should be fun. And I've been very fortunate to work with them as well. Yeah, I can't wait for the next uh, operating uh, room like rap video featuring Eminem and Lil Wayne. It's yeah. going to be yeah. really, it's going to be awesome. Yeah, the getting their ankles right. fixed by Kamran. We should do a sports medicine one. Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. What do you listen to in the car, Kamran, when you're driving back and forth from fixing people's feet and ankles and talking to them about their perineums? Um, what do you listen to in the car to blow off steam? And, and <laughs> like, do you listen to rap music in the car? Do you listen to podcasts? Do you listen to comedy? Like, what's your what's your jam? Yeah, it depends. Oftentimes we'll listen to like uh, audiobooks. Mm-hmm. And so like listening to books about innovation and health, like disruptive healthcare and those sorts of things. Like I really enjoy that. Otherwise, if I don't, I just want to like kind of veg out a little bit, then I listen to oftentimes like old school rap, like uh, Tupac, Biggie, Ice Cube, etc. I love it. Who are some of those audiobook uh, disruptors? Like, who are some of your favorite people? Because those are people that should be on our podcast. (laughs) Oh, well, one of them, a really great book that I read relatively recently is called The Ride of a Lifetime. It's not a healthcare book, but it's written by Bob Iger, who's the former CEO of Disney. It's a Mm -hmm. wonderful, wonderful book. We'll just get him on the show. It's fine. Jeremy, call his people. Call Disney. It's fine. We can get them on. No problem. Call Disney. uh, (laughs) But I'll uh, I'll look up some of the other. Well, he's not in the role anymore, so he's probably got time. (laughs) He's retired. He's got nothing but time. Go play golf with him, Jeremy. Bring Kamran with you. He'll uh, kick up some divots. Yeah, Kamran. I will carry your clubs for you, Jerry. That is all that I will do. And I will drive the, I'll drive the golf cart. We'll get Comrade to hold 10 before he needs his oh, first I IV. It. I love it. This, this time that Jeremy and I went and played golf is the only time I've ever played in my life. And it was the tea time. The person who got her tea time didn't get it till like 1 p.m. or something like that. Or it was hot, yes. And um, it had rained the day before. Mm-hmm. So on the south part of the course, they did not allow golf carts. And... It was like 103 degrees or something. And so we started walking like, I'm dressed like freaking Tiger Woods, like (laughs) black, (laughs) and I'm carrying all of these clubs. And I like, I literally got like a heat stroke. Like I think my liver function uh, was altered by the end of the- Poor guy. Yeah, we were definitely worried about some some of the uh, more older attendings on that day. One of them them left after the ninth hole asking where the uh, AED was. No! (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God! Uh, Let me remind you, this was golf. We were not playing basketball. (laughs) Oh, I love that. That makes me feel like a seasoned athlete. It's good. It's good. Cameron, do you ever want to do comedy again? Do you like Um, ever want to do stand up? So, you know, I would say that I don't miss going to comedy clubs, but I I get that fix a little bit giving lectures and stuff. And so I talk about health economics and what are going to be the disruptors in healthcare. I think. And so I try to infuse some humor in that. And 
I don't think I think if I went to a comedy club, I probably wouldn't do very well anymore because uh, my sense of humor does not apply to like the general public. <laughs> it's like become very like niche, yeah. physical, sure. like medical sure. type thing. So I think that if you're not in healthcare, then probably don't think I'm very funny. I think you're very right, so John Mulaney's safe. For yeah, now. I okay. think you're very funny, and I think that maybe you you operate like I do, although you actually operate. Is that every me entering into every patient room is just like me entering onto the onto the stage to a tiny degree? Yeah, Jeremy, do they still have um, spotlights in Julie's uh, clinic rooms where she walks in? Ring yes. lights, on to her they do. everywhere. Yeah, yes. the spotlights, the ring lights, sometimes yes. intro music. She's been experimenting with intro music. I want to come out to Comron yeah. songs all I, the time. That's what I want to come out to. Only Comron all the time. Dude. Next on stage is Dr. Brin. Hi. <laughs> Thank you. One of the real effects that I thought was a nice ad that she did is when she does her injections, as soon as she pierces the skin, it makes like a little... Yeah, in the background. <laughs> this is ridiculous. So, All right. Let's let's tell the people how to get a hold of Kamran. Kamran, how do we find you on the internet? Because I know that you are just as famous, if not more famous, IRL than on the interwebs. So tell us how to how to find you. You know, I have an Instagram account at this is Kamran, T-H-I-S-I-S-K-O-M-R-O-N. That's not how you spell my name. My name is actually spelled, Kamran is spelled K-A-M-R-A-N. But after me, you know, instead of Kamran Hamid, a, a lifetime of Kamran Mohammed, maybe realize that I try to, try to spell my name differently. So I spelled it phonetically, mm-hmm. Smart. K-O-M-R-O-N. So anyways, uh, that's the Instagram account. That's probably the best way to find me. Or if Siri is trying to find you, it's call Ron. Call Ron. Yes. Yeah. You got an ankle problem? Call Ron. Yeah. <laughs> He'll fix you up real good. That's awesome. Oh, my God. Yeah. We'll put uh, his sure. contact information and things in the show notes. And then again, he's at uh, Loyola University Medical Center for people who want to uh, get themselves looked at or frankly, just uh, uh, hear his rap music live <laughs> and in person. Jeremy, do you want to wrap things up for yeah. us so we can? Yeah. So we definitely want people to keep going and signing up to the Facebook group, Friends of Dr. Friends. It's a really good opportunity to you know, reflect on past episodes, give us more ideas. As you've noticed, almost every episode has been based on somebody's experience. And so uh, we'd love to hear more about it. These things like ankle sprains and low back pain and all the stuff we've talked about recently tend to have a lot of different experiences from people. So please let us know what your experience has been and, and learn from each other and kind of um, keep the conversation going. And uh, I guess at this point, what we know is that ankle sprains are ugly, they're swollen, they're bruised, but guess what? It'll be okay. Ask your doctor friends. We love it. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Bye. The amazing music is credited to Skillcell with Pixabay licensure. The podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. The contents of this podcast should not be taken as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others. Please consult a medical professional for any medical issues that you may be having. The contents of this podcast are the opinions of the hosts only and do not reflect the opinions of their employers or affiliations. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast. Under no circumstances shall Dr. Julie Bruni or Dr. Jeremy Allen or any guest to the podcast be responsible for damages arising from use of the podcast.